0: Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence, Jason Wallace, and Mike Nicoletti. Each week, we discuss topics ranging from geopolitics and macroeconomics to energy and technology. You can sign up for our newsletter at Telltales.us. That's T-E-L-L-T-A-L-E-S.us for additional data and content you can use to follow along. The following conversation is intended for informational purposes only you should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you.
1: All right. I'm going to start with A, B, and C. I'm going to try to go from from front to back. So we'll go to the exhibit first. So we go to exhibit A first. And exhibit A, for those who don't have the 20 pages in front of you, is a cash flow statement for the United States government. The spending away from mandated programs including defense as a mandated program in the year before covid was 910 billion dollars. the forecast for the fiscal year that ends next month the government's on september 30 fiscal year is 1.4 trillion we cannot afford the 1.4 trillion so part of doing the 12 expenditure bills which would never get done but the house is going to finish them i don't know whether the senate is gonna act on them but when you get to october one if these haven't been enacted theoretically the government can't spend money what typically has happened in the past is you have a reconciliation bill which allows the government to go forward that is going to be hard to get through the house so What I'm hopeful for is that the House finishes the 12 expenditure bills, and what happens is the House does these bills, the Senate does their version, and then they go into conference. I hope that when the House members and the senators come back, they work hard, their staffs work hard, they complete the 12 bills, they go into conference, and they finish by October 1. Now that's unrealistic, but if they make enough progress, hopefully the Senate, led by Schumer, and the House, led by McCarthy, will extend a couple of weeks at a time so that the congressmen and the senators can do their job. It is going to be very controversial because some part of that $500 billion of extra spending has to go. We'll see how that works out. In terms of impact on us all as investors, it's probably not going to be a plus. It's probably going to look like chaos. And that plus the pitch downgrade and the possibility of much increased interest rates, because as you do treasury bond auctions, this is all going to figure into it. The Japanese have decided to allow their interest rates to go up. So you won't have a lot of Japanese demand. don't think you're going to have much Chinese demand because of issues between our governments. I think that a 10-year bond, which is around 4%, could wind up before we get into the fourth quarter. And this is not concern about deficits or ability to pay. It's just the price of money could wind up at five or five and a half. is is within the realm of possibility. I'm not predicting that. Remember, low interest rates after 08 or 09, in effect, negative real interest rates cause the price of assets to go up. So what, what we can anticipate here, I think, is that some pressure on stock market valuations. I'm going to cover gas and oil very quickly and then get some comments from Mike and Jason. But gas is still showing, this is the bottom of Exhibit B, 340 next year and $4.25. Hopefully that happens. There's still surplus around, surplus gas. People say it's because of last winter. Don't really think that's true. In 21, dry gas production was 91 bees a day. In 23, it's gonna be 101. That's 10 bees a day in two years. I don't care how much LNG is coming on. There isn't enough demand to absorb five Bs a day per year of increase. So that, that gas production has to flatten out. I'm a little nervous because the Platts numbers are now saying 102. Huh, and I don't have 102 happening until 24. I'm, I'm just nervous about gas prices. More next week when we get some more data. Exhibit three, the price of oil... The Saudis are basically acting like the Texas Railroad Commission used to when they would have quotas for production. There's a lot of surplus capacity, at least four million barrels a day in Saudi Abu Dhabi. The Russians say they're curtailing, but they never do. I think, I think where you may lose some Russian production is the Black Sea. Uh, Russia is not going to permit w- wheat exports. So the Ukrainians are using airborne and and seaborne drones against Russian naval ships and tankers. There's a port in the Black Sea called novo It handles a couple million barrels a day of crude. To the extent that tightens up, that will match some of the reduced production by Saudi Arabia. $82 for WTI, that is above most people's expectation. Will this continue to work? You know, probably. Saudi seem determined, but demand is not as strong as it should be. The overnight numbers from China were weak. They actually have a price deflation going on. The mandate from the CCP, the Communist Party, is to have 6% growth or 5% growth this year. Who knows what it really is? But clearly, China's having a difficult time. With that, Mike or Jason, any other comments on... Exhibit A, B,
2: and C? Yeah, what we're seeing is out of, the data out of China is not looking very good at all either. How about the uh, censorship of economists? Yeah, we've, we've heard people mention that journalists covering the economy in China are, are now being censored, and they have to get their, their articles approved before they can publish them, presumably so that they don't talk about this deflation or you know, impending uh, defaults by the real estate developers.
1: Yeah, it looks as though the lenders to these real estate developers are going to get pennies on the dollar. The Communist Party's priority is for these real estate developers to complete the apartments that individual Chinese have bought and deliver those apartments. So the second largest economy in the world is is struggling a bit, and that affects commodities. Copper's low, iron ore, coal's not doing that great, and despite this, the price of oil has gone up, you know, $10 a barrel, so we'll see. The Saudis are determined, and if they stay determined, I think the price of oil will, will continue to be higher than you would have expected. If we turn to page one, The three companies on page one, for no particular reason, are Apple, Alphabet, and Tesla. Both Apple and Amazon, they were a week behind the other companies. Apple Apple is flat, flat, flat. It has good cash flow characteristics. It's trading at about 30 times free cash flow. But there does not seem to be any growth in revenue in uh, free cash flow. It just seems to be flat. What's needed is something to increase the number of iPhones or the number of Macs. I mean, the service part of Apple continues to look pretty healthy. Jason or Mike, how, if you're Apple, how do you get people back into a mood where they're going to buy, replace their iPhones more quickly?
3: Looking deeper into into the numbers, the bright spot for iPhone was that they actually took share, both in the U.S. and Europe, from Android. So even though... In general, overall, it seems like people are holding onto their phones longer. When people are getting new phones, in, in general, Apple is taking share. So it's sort of a bright light. I think that I would expect that the next generation phone, not the one that they'll release this fall, but the following year, I would expect by then that they have some generative AI capabilities baked into the phone. They may even announce updates to Siri, sooner than that but i would expect that they're going to need to develop some features that get people over the line to upgrade since the last few phones have all been sort of you know not that big of a deal as far as performance goes unless you really needed particular camera features and whatnot right and i
2: think what, what i've heard is that's going to continue with the next version of the iPhone, but it's kind of genius how they set up their services, the tiers of storage that you have to pay Apple for to back up your phone, those don't increase when the size, the capacity of uh, storage on your iPhone does increase. So you more and more people are, are finding themselves in a situation where they have to upgrade the backup and storage fees and, and price tier that they're on with Apple Cloud as
3: they get new phones. Mm-hmm. And that's very high margin business.
1: If we go back to the year-end or November, when ChatGPT and, and Microfoss deal with it, the thinking was that Microsoft would be able to use it to take Bing from whatever their market share is and search 3 or 4% or something and really have a comeback against Alphabet. Now, here we are in August. That's a long time ago, and Alphabet seems to be steaming along no particular amount of growth. but better control over expenses, pretty good free cash flow, trading at 30 times free cash flow, but also a bit on the flat side, or how does it look to the two of you?
2: Yeah, I mean, we're, we're encouraged that they didn't lose share on search, and the advertising revenue on search was, was a strong point. Um, so the generative AI w- that we feared um, eight months ago that was going to impact their search revenue hasn't materialized.
3: Right, and it's taken them a little while to jumpstart their generative AI stuff, but they've they've had some of the best people in the world there. They just haven't productized anything. And the reality is the game theory was that there was no reason for them to monetize any of it. So the, the key is to keep the golden goose alive, which is search. And I think that the most recent earnings demonstrated that Google search is still alive and well, and if you're using one of these products, it's not like it completely changes the way you work. So this product innovation will happen. I mean, that it's a very rudimentary interface to just type questions into a text box. We could definitely expect that we're going to see more innovation in the way that we interface with generative AI. One would also assume that Google is working pretty hard to make sure that they incorporate enough of this, that they don't lose share, but not so much in a way that it would uh, cannibalize their core business.
1: And YouTube, as compared to its competitors, holding its own?
3: Who do you count as their competitors? (laughs) I, I count pay TV, Netflix, Disney, all of those as competitors. And I think YouTube is a fantastic product because it is a step function ahead from the perspective of how it compensates its content. The problem that's happening in Hollywood right now is that the world has moved around. We've progressed from films that get released in theaters and then later are released on VHS and DVD to one in which with a 20 or $30,000, I can produce a movie here in San Diego out of our office. Um, it's, it's a much, much, or probably less money than that, probably an iPhone Max or something. So the world has changed dramatically, and YouTube is up to speed with it. Gets the preferred place, I think, for quote, quote unquote cutting edge content creation.
1: And with that, we can switch to page four, which updated this week. Netflix is growing some. Once again, about 30 times free cash flow leader i guess that everyone else is chasing and also on this page is disney kind of the leader with content i guess you'd say and amazon who has amazon prime probably the closest competitor i guess to netflix and then facebook espn that are pretty challenged amazon had pretty good results last week and an improved stock price mostly because they went from being cash flow negative to positive in a significant way. But based on the estimate here of free cash flow, they're still 90 times free cash flow. And Meta, which surprised me, uh, Jason may want to comment on this. My my estimate of what the free cash flow is Meta, Meta's improved a lot. And the stock is up like three times, but still not a very good free cash provider or performer. So how do you think about these four companies if there's one that's better positioned vis a be youtube or other ways to deliver or to organize content Jason which which one would you pick
2: I think I'd pick Netflix you know they they've returned to growth whereas you're seeing Disney plus subscribers start to fall off um, they've lost subscribers over the course of this year where Netflix got rid of their their famous password sharing policy where they didn't mind if you shared your password with your friends because initially as they were a startup they wanted as many people on the platform as they could possibly get they matured long past that point and they finally started enforcing that everyone should pay for their own account so that's that's driving sales recently and and they do have a strong content portfolio now and it appeals to the masses where you know disney's Disney's got their niche with superheroes and, and children's content, which is extremely lucrative and kids like to watch the same thing over and over. But I feel like Netflix provides the, the better value as a consumer, at least.
3: Yeah, I, don't, I have a different view. Go for it. <laughs> um, so, <laughs>
1: oh, that's terrific.
3: So the, this, this uh, writer and actor strike. My theory is that the only logical conclusion out of this basically that they're going to go to a Spotify style model, which means that some percentage of revenue will be allocated pro rata among all of the streams. And they got to figure out how they're going to do that. Is it by minute watched? Is it by show watched? Is it by, you know, how do they do that pro rata distribution? But I think that's how they're going to get to at the end of the day. It's not clear if that's a good business model for Spotify. Spotify, it's still not a great business, even though they own the market. So I would wait and see when it comes to Netflix. And actually, Walt Disney's kind of reeks of desperation in the moment. They just struck a deal to do to license ESPN for sports betting, which is basically a sign of the fact that they've literally monetized sports as far as one possibly could. And this is the last straw. Like there's no level of sports monetization that's more concentrated than sports betting. And it's also something that's not on brand for Walt Disney. So the deal that was announced earlier today, I think it's probably a sign that they're likely going to spin that thing off eventually, but it also smells of desperation. Amazon, if you look at their CapEx, I actually think on a forward basis that CapEx number will be quite a bit lower than $60 billion. In yeah, fact, f- uh, 40, roughly forty four. billion. If yeah. you run rate it today. Yeah, right, yeah. Right. So I, d- I ran the numbers as if it was 40 and said you end up with free cash flow of 35, which would end up at a 40 times enterprise value valuation today. So that relative to other big tech that starts to seem sort of cheap, it's still not cheap, 40 times is pretty expensive, but uh, relative to some of these others, it kind of seems reasonable. Meta, I'd like to see them stop spending on the metaverse. <laughs> Maybe they'll prove me wrong on that, but uh, it'll, it'll cost them a
2: lot to get there. Yeah, I, I just want to mention back on Amazon and, and the Prime Video service specifically, I wonder how much value that provides to Amazon. You know, I don't think anyone subscribes to Amazon Prime for the video service part, right? I, you do. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. no. I, I was raising my hand because I have a thing to say. <laughs> that, I want free
3: shipping. I yeah. want
2: my, I want to order something
3: and have it arrive at my house four hours later, which does occur now. So um, the, what they've done is they've bought all these libraries of video, mm-hmm. the MGM deal, all that stuff. They don't have to go out and buy content going right. forward. Netflix has to, Absolutely. Most of their content is low shelf life content. So they're more subject to the terms of whatever comes out of this actor, writer strike. Where Amazon, everything they did in the past, we may look back on that as like, that was money very well spent. Let's take a quick break
0: to thank our sponsor. This episode of Telltales is brought to you by Top Mart Capital. They're not your typical hedge fund. They use a blend of best practices from value investing, venture capital, and private equity, which gives them a unique perspective on market dynamics. And the results truly speak for themselves. Since inception in 2012, they've turned each dollar invested into more than $7 after all fees. Yes, you heard that right. $7. That's over 22% on an annualized basis. So, If you're a qualified investor who's looking for an innovative, emerging manager who truly understands the dynamics of the market and how to deliver impressive returns, visit topmarkcapital.com to learn more. And now, back to the show.
1: Since we only have five minutes left and since we promised to concentrate on AI and other technology, but also healthcare, if you turn to page 15, you have Pfizer, Moderna, Lantheus, Biotech, and Vertex Pharmaceutical. I think Mike and Jason own at least two of these. I think Lantius and Vertex Pharmaceutical. They, in terms of using the capability that Moderna and Biotech demonstrated to chase down viruses and looking around in a you know an overvalued market. I mean, no one's arguing that the stock market isn't pretty fully valued now. So you're looking for gaps up the ability to go to a completely different level of cash flow generation. Do you see anything in these five companies that would accomplish that, irrespective of how demand is or whatnot? Or would you consider that that these five companies are all fairly valued at this point? I guess over to you, Jason. We're gonna rely on you on healthcare.
2: Well as you mentioned we own two of them and we, we think they're pretty fairly valued now. I think the one that's really interesting to me at this point in time is BioNTech. We, we really like their pipeline of clinical research right now. What I don't like is that they're still banking on $5 billion in sales on COVID vaccines come this fall. They just recently reported Q2, and they, they claim it's going to be the, you know, the, that's the lowest sales quarter they have through the year, but it was only about $160 million in revenue, and they're expecting to do $5 billion. And they predicate that on uh, Pfizer selling COVID vaccine boosters commercially in the U.S., and I just don't think that that the demand will be there. So, if you're looking to get into Biotech, there there might be future misses, sales misses that they have, or they're going to have to really revise down what they're projecting. The bright spots are that they are looking ahead at. A day when the COVID vaccine revenue dries up, the money they've built up selling the vaccines, they've spent that on some late stage clinical research, partnering with a couple smaller companies. They have drugs in the works in their oncology pipeline that they should, if successful, bring to market before the rest of BioNTech's pipeline. So in the medium term, they should have a revenue stream that can continue to finance their research before they bring out some of these cancer vaccines that they're working on that you know, really should be transformative to, to that cancer treatment.
1: We have about two minutes left. Maybe uh, Mike does one and, and you do the other. Mike, which is your choice, lantheus or vertex in terms of pipeline and, and things that they might be able to accomplish over the next number of years? Mm-hmm. But Mike, you get choice, lantheus or vertex, and then Jason will finish up on the other one.
3: We think the market's kind of misreacting to Lanthius because it's down a little bit since they reported earnings based on a competitive product that we actually believe is not even remotely competitive. So I think that could be a good opportunity. We've added more to it as a result. But I think Vertex has way more interesting stuff. And maybe I'll turn that over to Jason to talk about what they're doing there. Yeah, the, the the non-opioid acute
2: pain treatment that they have in works could be revolutionary. I want to see the first data readouts of comparing their ability against the current opioid treatments, but the results out of their phase two looked extremely promising, and they expect to run their phase three trial in, in a pretty short duration. The patients are only on the drug for a couple of days, and they'll get data readout before the end of this year. What the drug does is instead of acting on your brain and kind of masking the pain by releasing dopamine in your brain or you know anything anything else, what it is is it blocks the the nerve channel that transmits pain through your body, Um, and because it doesn't act on the brain, it doesn't have addictive properties. So this has kind of been something that researchers have been looking at for a number of years. And without getting too technical, there. They were looking at a different pain pathway that is very analogous to what Vertex stumbled on. And it was it kind of seemed fortunate and maybe by accident that Vertex did stumble on this and that humans use a different pain pathway than other, you know, the mice mod- mouse models. So they've progressed it through trials. We've looked for, you know, is there any fast follow kind of research out there that could, you know, make a duopoly on this non-opioid pain market, but... It seems like Vertex is the only game in town in the near term and Congress has passed a bill, I believe it's called the No Pain Act, and the whole purpose is to um, cover the cost delta between offering something like Vertex's pain treatment, if successful, the cost difference between that and then the current opioid treatments. So huge upside there and it would be a great benefit to society to not have nearly as many opioids circulating around.
1: The other thing, um, I think this is true, that the financial position of Vertex Pharmaceutical is they have like $11 billion of cash on hand. And that's not cash that came from some financing or something. That's cash that they've earned over the years. I mean, this is very impressive from a financial point of view.
2: It is impressive, and it's a stable revenue stream. And, and their only competitor in that market recently pulled out and canceled the rest of their trials. So that should be a pretty safe revenue stream going forward.
1: Yeah, just in the minute or so left, that the current revenue just covered what, what their current product lineup looks like that they make their $3 billion of free cash flow from.
2: Yeah, it's it's treatments for cystic fibrosis. So they've had a number of drugs they've brought to market and then combination therapies of drugs that they've developed and now packaged together into a single treatment. And really, it's it's impressive that their pace of innovation doesn't slow there. They don't try to run out the patent cliff on an existing drug before they bring a new one to market. They keep, they keep bringing new ones in, and, and the benefit of that is... Maybe unfortunate to the patients, but raising prices, providing a more effective treatment, but it, again, is more expensive, but it does add to their free cash flow.
3: Well, and it deters competitors too. Right?
1: Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much. Everyone be well and stay healthy. We'll be on next Wednesday. Diane will be calling from Peru. Mike will be calling from uh, his boat in Catalina Island using new technology. But one way or the other. It may it may just be Jason and me next. Week, we'll, we'll, we'll be odd. We'll Take care everyone. Bye-bye.
0: The views expressed on this podcast are the host's alone and do not constitute an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy, any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. While certain information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, neither the host nor any of their employers or their affiliates have independently verified this information, and its accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Accordingly, no representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to and no reliance should be placed on the fairness, accuracy, timeliness, or completeness of this information. The hosts and all employers and their affiliated persons assume no liability for this information, and no obligation to update the information or analysis contained herein in the future and may or may not hold positions in the securities mentioned.